Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. GM, I'm Dan Roberts. I'm Stacey Elliott. And I'm Stephen Graves. And this is... GM from Decrypt. All right, GM Stephen, great to have you back for an episode, and it's right up your alley. It's the film world. GM Dan, yeah, I'm looking forward to this one. It should be a good one. We've got uh, Leo Matchett from Decentralized Pictures talking about their evergreen decentralized film fund. Yeah, it's all so interesting because, and I think we've covered it very closely and covered it well, but there are so many examples of the ways in which crypto, blockchain, and NFTs are bleeding into the film world, even though at the same time, you have kind of the larger narrative. And it's hard for me not to think of the Matt Damon ad and other celebrities who've done crypto ads and they've been criticized. And yet there are some very legitimate ways, sorry haters, for these technologies to help the film world and the the larger kind of art scene. Yeah, we're seeing some really interesting developments in space where you're getting independent filmmakers, particularly finding new ways to finance their projects you're starting to see the very, very early steps of properly decentralized distribution of films, which I think is going to shake up the industry massively in in years to come. Yeah. But it's still at such a very nascent stage, and it's sort of reliant on these really sort of pioneering projects like DCP to to advance it. Yeah, super, super early stages. And um, they do have an advantage of having a pretty big name involved, which is Roman Coppola, who is on the board of the project. And of course, you know, the Coppola family, very, very influential in this world. So we will ask Leo about the origins there. And I just wonder, you know, it's always hard to tell, as you said, early days, early days, but this could be the one or one of the projects that actually really kind of help create a tipping point. A tipping point for the film industry in crypto, but also possibly for Web3 in general, given how, Mm. you know, how big the, the film industry is and how much cultural clout it has. Once you start to see successful projects coming out of that space, it becomes a lot harder to dismiss crypto landers just being the space where, you know, scams and, and rug pulls are rife. 100%. 100%. If people see a short film that they love and then, oh, this couldn't have been made without blockchain, I think that's a pretty good argument. Let's bring him on. Let's bring on Leo. All right. GM Leo Matchett from Decentralized Pictures. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, this is amazing. You guys are really my Hollywood pals. So, you know, you can drive the conversation on the, the film side, but let's just start this way. Let's introduce DCP, Decentralized Pictures, to all the listeners. What do you guys do? Uh, what's the big pie in the sky goal and ambition of the company, which is a nonprofit? Yeah, so Decentralized Pictures was founded with the idea that we can use blockchain technology to empower artists, discover new artists and curate great content. And we do that through the power of community, through user consensus. And essentially what we're doing is offering up awards, whether it be you know career support, mentorship, or financing for films, and allowing people to 
solicit their their ideas and their their content and themselves uh, for these opportunities. And then the user community will vote on who's most deserving of these opportunities. And all of the voting is recorded on our blockchain. And hopefully the most deserving people win our support from the foundation. Fantastic. So let's say I'm a filmmaker looking to use your platform. How do I get started? What, what's the, uh, the cryptocurrency that you guys use? And what's the process that I need to follow to actually get involved? So you would create an account just like any you know, web application, fill out your email address and sign up. And once you have an account, you, you have two options to submit yourself or your work. You can start to review other people's work and earn enough of a balance so that you can submit your own. Or you can you know, purchase what we call film credits, which is our you know, cryptocurrency from the foundation to, to submit right away. The idea behind allowing people to earn their way in is really for inclusiveness so that anyone, no matter their financial situation or where they are in the world, they get the same opportunities as everyone else. And so when you, you know, decide what you're going to submit, you pay a fee into the smart contract. That fee actually acts as an incentive mechanism so that the rest of the world, the rest of the community is incentivized to review your work. Really what we're trying to solve here is in Hollywood, what we call the drinking from a fire hose problem. Most of the shops in town and other production companies, studios, what have you, they don't take unsolicited material. So there, there's many reasons for that. But, but one of the biggest ones is development departments are you know, relatively small and the inflow of content would be so much that it would be impossible nearly to, to review it all. So how are we solving that? We're outsourcing that review process to the world and, and paying them to give their opinions on who they feel and, and what they feel is most deserving for support from the foundation. So really think of it like, you know, Kickstarter in reverse, and it's not crowdfunding, it's, it's crowd curation. So rather than asking the world for money to make your film or whatever your project is, you're essentially saying, I'm going to pay the world to tell me if they like my project or not, or me as a candidate for an award. And then the world is incentivized to tell them whether they like it or not, because they get the chance to earn our cryptocurrency film credits that they can then you know go and sell or they can use to submit their own project or use to purchase film tools and, and you know spend on vendors that we're working with in the industry to give those, those film credits value. And the, the, the funding model is kind of circular, effectively, because you guys function as a nonprofit, correct? Yeah, good, good question. So when we, you know, make a decision based on user consensus and, and all of the, you know, voting is tallied up and a winner is selected, we'll actually, you know, in a traditional financing way, get behind their film as an executive producer and put, put money into it. We don't actually take any of the intellectual property away from the filmmakers. Our job is to empower filmmakers and give them the best leg to stand on when negotiating, say, with distributors or you know streamers. But we do enter into a financing uh, agreement with them, and so we, the foundation stands to recoup and you know share in in any revenue or profit that would come from that project. However, as a five hundred one c three all the recoupment and the net revenue will go back into the film fund for future artists. So we're creating this evergreen circular 
perpetual motion machine, if you will, of, of film financing. So that, you know, hopefully our, our goal is to have a public repository of value and opportunities that anyone in the world can apply for as long as they can prove that the world agrees that they're deserving of those resources. And we feel like this model will be more sustainable than, say, the traditional film fund model where you have shareholders and you have participants and people, you know, put money into those funds because they want to take something out of it and they want to earn, obviously. But as a nonprofit, we can, you know, not only generate revenue from financing films that can be put back in for future artists, we can also solicit donations from partner companies such as, you know, Steven Soderbergh recently gave us a donation to create an award, as well as, you know, production companies, studios, agency partners that we've, you know, aligned ourselves with in the industry who believe in our mission. So we feel that, you know, this fund will be evergreen and self-sustaining because of that need, really our, our nonprofit mission and, and the guidelines from the IRS in, in maintaining our nonprofit status is such that all of the value that's created through this entity needs to stay within this loop and be used for our nonprofit purpose, which is you know, talent discovery and, and content curation. So, Leo, there's a couple different purposes there. You know, we talked about financing films. We talked about discovering projects, people voting and greenlighting certain projects. So far for now, what type of projects are you seeing gravitate toward it? I mean, you know, there's an, there's an empowerment angle here. So is there a certain type of either screenwriter or filmmaker who has gravitated toward the project so far? I guess I'm also asking about, you know, concrete examples of what you guys are seeing come through the pipeline. Because we're in our infancy, we launched the the project at Cannes this year, a couple months ago. We're starting not at the script stage because, you know, the life cycle of that is significantly longer and our, our fund needs time to grow. So what we've offered so far, and actually there's three days left in the review period, is completion funds for documentaries as well as completion funds for narrative films. And that allows us to put money in towards the end of the life cycle, but then recoup it quicker, hopefully, to, you know, give it to, to newer participants. So really, it's, it's been people that are a little more, a little farther along in their process. That said, we have been giving grants every two weeks, and we call that the, the Rent Assistance Award, where people submit just a treatment, one page about the project that they want to write a screenplay about, and a pitch video about themselves who they are as a filmmaker, what their influences are, why this project is important to them and why the world should care about it, this kind of thing. And so we've, we've been lucky enough to have four winners of that so far. And those are people that are at the very beginning of the film life cycle. They have an idea, they've written a one pager about it and, you know, they're relatively new in, into filmmaking because they, you know, could be their first script or, or what have you. So I would say that it, it's, it's a combination of both people that have already been through most of production and are looking for funds to complete their film, you know, music, editing, color, these kinds of things that, that you know, you run into and potentially run out of money towards the end of the, of the post-production process, but also people at the very beginning. We hope soon to, to be able to start at the screenplay stage for feature films as our community gets bigger and, and we have, you know, more people to review and, you know, potentially more candidates to submit as well. But we're, we're kind of 
testing the waters, if you will, doing a litmus test and dipping our toe and, and seeing what's working. And, you know, surprisingly, people really love the, the screenplay rent assistance awards because they have full-time jobs, they're working at cafes, they're, they're people in their, in their lives and they want to get into the film industry, but they can't just quit their job and take a couple months off and, and you know, go and write their screenplay and pray that it's going to be sold and, and you know, they're going to become a filmmaker. So it's sort of a, a transition step, if you will, where they can help pay their bills and pay their rent a little bit while, you know, writing their screenplay and hopefully writing something that's compelling that they can then submit down the road. We do have one other award, actually, that's in partnership with Kevin Smith. It's for the script stage submission. However, it's for a comedy short film that his production team and actually one of our board members, Liz Destro, is one of his producers, uh, will help that filmmaker, the winning filmmaker, produce that comedy short with the idea that it will become a stepping stone to, you know, hopefully launch into a comedy series or a comedy feature film. So we're, we're taking baby steps, but we will get to the, to, to the phase where we can, you know, analyze full length, feature length scripts and uh, hopefully produce, help produce them, match those, those winning filmmakers with production partners that are a good aesthetic fit for their material and act as executive producers or, or guides to, to the filmmaker so that they can accomplish their goals as a director or a writer or whatever it is. And, and on the back end, I mean, people getting help through this way don't necessarily need to care that it's using blockchain tech and crypto, right? I mean, it's really sort of just behind the scenes because I wanted to make sure I ask you what you think the attitudes are in Hollywood toward crypto, because, you know, there's your project, which we've written about, and there's, there are a number of films now that are using NFTs and they sell them in advance to fans of the director to try to get the film financed. I just wonder if there's still kind of a lingering stigma. But I know also with DCP, it sounds like, well, it isn't as though the rest of the people, if a movie starts to go into the process of actually getting made, need to even know that, oh, this leveraged blockchain. Yeah, we've we've designed the platform in such a way that if you don't know anything about blockchain, you should still be able to use it. We're using social login, non-custodial wallets. So really to create your wallet, all you need to do is sign in to Google, Twitter, or Facebook. And using OAuth 2, it will actually encrypt your private key. And just the, just the fact that you signed in will, will create that and, and allow you to interact with the platform. It's really cool tech. It's called Tor.us. Anyway, if you can sign into your social media, you should be able to create a wallet and interact with the app. However, there is certainly a stigma about blockchain out there. And I feel like it's becoming less and less apparent. Pitching this project in 2017 to studios and production companies was significantly more difficult than it is now. Glazed eyes, kind of jaws dropping, like, hey, what are you, you guys are filmmakers and, you know, Zoetrope has been around for 50 years and you're like, you're getting into this scammy technology. Like, isn't it all rug pulls and, and bunny money? We see the value and, you know, we've sort of been in this space for quite a, quite a while now. Um, a little background, Roman and I actually created a, a little Bitcoin mine in one of our sound stages in 2013. We should say, by the way, Roman Coppola, which you know, we haven't yes. mentioned his involvement yet. Yeah, sorry. Roman Coppola, who's the son of 
uh, Francis Coppola, and I have worked together for over a decade now on films and in commercial production at his production company, the Directors Bureau. And we had this this soundstage, or he had this soundstage that ended up becoming empty due to a show getting canceled and a long-term tenant having to leave. So we, we did this little experimental project and set up Bitcoin miners in there. And that was sort of our entree into blockchain. So, you know, we had the experience, I guess, to know that it's not all what it's been made out to be by some media as being, you know, really scammy kind of sketchy technology. It's actually more secure than most of the web two out there in terms of, you know, well, depending on how your OPSEC is or operational security is, but its foundation is, is actually very, you know, secure. So when we were discovering ways how to use this to empower filmmakers and, and, you know, make filmmaking more efficient, we had that in our mind, but to, to go out to production companies that really, you know, focus obviously 100% on filmmaking, it definitely had a bit of a learning curve. And I feel like these companies have, have come around. I mean, I see, you know, joint ventures coming out of, of big studios now, but at the time it was more difficult. Anyway, long story short, I, I think that, you know, there still definitely is a stigma, but as people become more educated, it's becoming easier and easier to, you know, onboard new users and, and to gain adoption and hopefully mass adoption within the near future. What sort of number, what sort of user base do you think you need to, you need to have to achieve that sort of critical mass where the, the you know, flywheel effect takes hold and, and it actually becomes fully viable rather than just an experiment? That's a very good question, and I wish I knew the answer to it. However, we've been talking about this exact problem when it comes to adding foreign language films into the platform. So what one of the questions we're asking people as they sign up is, what languages do you speak? Because the idea of decentralized pictures has always been for it to be a global platform, you know, not just U.S. American films or, you know, English speaking films but really a repository of resources for anyone, regardless of where they are in the world and what languages they speak. And, you know, that holds true to, to art, right? Like we, we think that, you know, why is one culture's art more important than another? I feel like in order to truly decentralize, you need to allow all art to flourish, regardless of, you know, the background of the creators or, or the way it's portrayed to the world and what language. So we talked about this and said, okay, what, how many users do we need that speak French before we can start offering awards in French? Right now we are offering English speaking project awards only or foreign language projects that have English subtitles. That way, at least our, our user base, which is predominantly US based or English speaking based, can actually review it because that's, that's the whole premise here is people need to be able to review this material in order to tell us what projects and what talent to get behind. So knowing that, I would say it's somewhere, it's definitely over 10,000 users that need to speak a certain language before we can adopt it. But that, that's a good question. I think the more users we have, the more accurate the algorithm will be in selecting the most deserving artists. It's, it's about you know, statistics and sample size, really, 
And our thesis is that a large diversified group should theoretically have a better creative decision-making capability than a small non-diversified group like you would find in a boardroom in a studio. The wisdom of crowds. The wisdom of crowds, exactly. And so I don't know what the answer is, <laughs> Stephen. I wish I did. However, the larger the group, I think the, the more accurate the data will be. I mean, you, you mentioned the wisdom of crowds, although there is still an element of centralization there because the prospective projects are then passed on to a board who, who review them. Do you think there's always going to be a need for that sort of curation, or is that something that could eventually be abstracted away and, and fully decentralized? Absolutely. So we, while in our infancy, are, are keeping an eye out for voting anomalies, collusion, potential flaws in the system that would allow folks to game it, civil attacks, etc. However, we've taken steps to mitigate those types of attacks on the network. And to date, all of the awards have been decided by the crowd. There hasn't been any need to, to intervene there. But we've written into our Declaration of Independent Film, as we call it, which is, think of it like a white paper, that, you know, should that need arise, we reserve the right to, to do so. But the, the goal has always been to let the crowd decide. And the goal has always been to eventually not have any reservations or constraints in place to allow them to decide the winner. During our infancy, we, we felt like, just like we were just talking about, the, the larger the, the group is, the more accurate the data will be. It's easier right now to game the system than it will be once we get you know that critical mass of users, whatever that number is. So we felt that there should just be some guardrails in place to walk the dog on a leash before we let it run wild, if you will, just as, as a, a, you know, a safeguard. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. And to Stephen's point, I mean, it's not so easy to do away with the gatekeepers. You know, we're talking mm -hmm. about it in the context of Hollywood. And I love, you know, your point that the traditional group is probably pretty homogeneous. You know, it's a bunch of men in a boardroom. And maybe that's changing for the better in parts of Hollywood. But, you know, it's also there are crypto projects that are trying to do this in a number of different industries. And I think especially in the last six months amid the crash, many have discovered that it isn't so easy to, to really do the idealistic rallying cry of decentralization, you know, especially when companies and projects want to play ball with regulations. And what if they're now told, you know, don't allow users who've interacted with this thing or, you know, there's a little bit of, there's some, there's some limitations, I think, to the, the crypto rallying cry of decentralize all the things. Yeah, absolutely. We, we are firm believers that 
it, it is important and that arts shape culture and that people deserve a say in what that culture is and people need to know about things in order to care about them. And people say, well, art is already decentralized. You get to decide what book to go buy or what film to go watch or what, you know, you're going to pick in, in your library of streamers that you're have access to on your TV. However, there are people that are deciding what's there, right? Like it's very difficult to get your film distributed and it's, it's very difficult to get your book published. And so the, one of the biggest criticisms that we've got from, from some of the industry incumbents is, you know, Hey guys, we, we love what you're doing, but people don't know what they like. We have to tell them what to like. We do that through advertising. It's always been that way and it will always be that way. And, you know, to a certain extent, we're, we're trying to prove that wrong, that people do, for the most part, know what they like and they can help us decide what that is. But at the end of the day, you know, arts are, are important to be decided on by people that don't have, say, a vested interest in the commerce of, of the art. You know, there's sort of this really critical thing where, you know, art and commerce don't really mix because, I mean, you could go on, on, write a whole paper about that, but, but basically if you run, if you run art through a formulaic model, it loses those hard edges that make it unique. You know, those really refined, interesting things because you're trying to address too many things that you think potentially will draw in the crowd and, and make it commercially successful. And sometimes the, the best things are, you know, just totally ignore that. So I, I guess at the end of the day, we, we feel like, you know, people should have a say in, in what culture is and not, not that we're saying we're going to reshape the world with this project, but there is sort of this very innate importance about people having a say and, and, and resources to, to push out that, that say through a democratic process. And we can't help everyone, right? You know, we, I wish we could. And so how do we go about deciding in the fairest way who we can get behind and who we could support? So, you know, what we've done is we've created this voting protocol where every single interaction in the application is recorded on a, on chain. And we can then prove transparency and fairness in the voting process. And that was really, really important to us because we're giving away great opportunities and significant, you know, value. It's important to know that, that that is a fair process. And, and so that people can actually rally behind the idea, right? The idea that there should be another avenue to getting to the same place. We're not trying to take a road necessarily in the status quo studio film industry highway, Right now, we're building a little footpath next to it to hopefully get to, to the to the same place, and maybe it'll turn into a road and a highway at some point down, you know, in the future. But let's let's try and prove the model first. And yeah, it's really important, I think, to to the world to to have something like that that's available. And I, I know I know in Europe there are funds available to to folks for art, but even those are, are really decided by a small non-diverse group of, of individuals. I feel like there's something to truly democratizing that process in a fair way. Looking to the future of, of um, film financing and, and Web3, at the moment, it's, it's fairly simple. It's, you know, limited 
DAO-like structures like you guys. There's some NFT, you know, crowdfunding raises. Is there any interest from the sort of the upper echelons of, of Hollywood in some more novel things where you, you actually involve things like decentralized finance in the film funding process, maybe selling shares, having, you know, liquidity pools based on tokens in a, in a film project, that sort of thing? Or is it still too early to, to call that sort of thing? Well, there's certainly projects out there that are tokenizing equity in, in films. The issue there is the security aspect of it. There's obviously it's regulated at that point and liquidity would be limited to a certain extent as the token security markets are not as robust as they hopefully will be in the future at this point. But absolutely, I see value in that approach. Uh, that was one of the first sort of thoughts we had with this project was, wow, we can, you know, micro finance films through crypto and, oh yeah, shoot, that's regular. It's, that's certainly a security. How do we get around that? Okay. Uh, let's rethink this, you know, that pesky but little thing. Yeah. 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 Um, I, I do know of, of some, some projects that have, significant backing maybe not from the bigger players but certainly some some industry professionals that are getting involved with projects like that however there there are some very you know interesting models that skirt that a little bit for example the the share to earn model where you send a a interesting project out to your social group and you use your unique link or they they visit your profile of of your picks and if they rent something from your profile or purchase something from your profile you get a cut of that rental fee and that to me is not a security because you know you're really just it's a referral fee it's not by virtue of owning something you get an ROI which you know meets the definition and then there, there's been some some add-ons to that where, oh, in order to share with your social community, you have to be an owner of an NFT. And that gets into some gray area, which I can't speculate on, but it seems like it's still one step removed potentially. So we'll let the lawyers figure that one out. But there's definitely some super interesting, innovative ideas coming in the space. And uh, I'm extremely excited about it. And it's exciting to see large, huge, the biggest studios, media conglomerates in the world starting to get involved mm. as well. Well, and and Leo, when you talk about you know the big studios, the big names, the backers, we got your take a little bit on the the broad attitudes toward crypto and how so many people still see it a certain way. What about the specific people that you guys have managed to connect with? I mean, you know, you mentioned your work with Roman Coppola. You said Steven Soderbergh and, and Kevin Smith. We know has done a lot in this space. When you guys are actually talking to these more established players, do you find that they have to be people who do already have a little bit of crypto curiosity or interest in, in blockchain? Or do you sort of de-emphasize that? And it's about, you know, it's more about, as you said, trying to get a more diverse voting group of people that might actually end up being the fans of, of a project. You know, how do you make that pitch to established people? Well, luckily, we have a very robust network. American Zotrope is been around for over 50 years at this point and, and worked with numerous amazing artists throughout that time. So it's a, certainly a little bit easier for us to, to get on the phone with, with some people to, to make those pitches. Actually, one of our board members, Bart Walker, was a partner at ICM, 
and, and is you know still uh, a great talent agent. I think he moved over to Gersh at, at this point, but you know he represents amazing artists that that we're trying to reach out to to, to try and do similar things that we're that we're doing with Steven Soderbergh and, and Kevin Smith. Folks like we would love to work with, say Spike Lee or uh, Miranair, uh, Jim Jarmusch, people like this that you know are very established independent filmmakers and you know studio filmmakers as well that we feel have you know an open mind and, and are, are of are like minded when it comes to helping aspiring artists and discovering the next generation and are willing to send the elevator back down. I mean, there isn't many people in Hollywood that didn't have some struggle getting their foot in the door. <laughs> it's very, very difficult. And I feel like everyone can empathize with that. There's so many people on the outside looking in. And to be honest, I feel like we've, most of the conversations we've had with people are relatively like, oh my God, this is great you know, everyone agrees with what we're trying to do. Yeah. What's not to like, <laughs> what's not to like. Yeah. So unless you hate crypto, <laughs> unless you hate crypto and there are some people that certainly hate crypto, but there are certain definitely people that don't. And, and I think once everyone sort of figures it out they're you know, they, they're like, Oh, they have this aha moment. Like, Oh, I get it now. It's not tulips necessarily. Although, you know, it only takes a few people doing rug pulls and, you know, scamming folks out of their hard-earned money to really tarnish something that has significant value and could, could be, you know, very beneficial for artists, especially when it comes to, you know, maintaining IP ownership and, you know, so many interesting things, so many interesting use cases that Web3 can offer to artists. So, yeah, I feel like the, the the hardest thing is not convincing them that what we're doing or that they want to be involved. It's more about getting them, the educating people on on the value and and having them really truly understand that you know not all blockchains are proof of work and they're not all you know bad for the environment. So there's been some some serious negative publicity about blockchain technology that needs to be overcome, but there there's there's time and and people are are willing especially when they feel like they're doing something that they care about you uh, you mentioned working with kevin smith and obviously he's done an nft project himself which full disclosure i own one of them me too but, i got a few of them actually <laughs> there's a sort of a subculture of, of web3 film projects or film3 projects uh, coming up which are some of the ones that have caught your attention wow yes uh obviously Caladita is one of the sort of pioneers. Miguel Faust has been an inspiration to a lot of people with his hustle and, you know, the fact that he was able to make a short film and now he's prepping for his feature and he's maintained 100% of his IP ownership and he's raised enough money, I believe at this point, to actually make a feature film by pre-selling NFTs. Wow. I mean, that is exactly what everyone is trying to do. I feel like this in this market right now, it's probably going to be a little more difficult for, for others, but hopefully, and I pray that that film is very successful and that model can be prove, proven. But Lynch is another interesting one. I haven't had the pleasure of seeing it yet, but I know that they're you know using a, a very cool share to earn distribution model through Bingeable. 
And obviously Kilroy was here is one that I own an NFT and Steven, I know you do as well. I really want to see it. It's, it's awesome. It's awesome. It's, uh, I, I certainly liked it. I'm kind of a sucker for those horror, a little bit of comedy, light, heartfelt kind of movies. So I was very excited to, uh, actually not to brag. It's totally luck of the draw. The NFT I got was ranked number 11 of, I don't know how many, several thousand. It's just random. And I was like, oh my God, I never get lucky on those things. But yeah, th- those are just, just a couple. And I'm sure there's going to be, you know, many, many more. I want to uh, make sure our listeners know that we've written about both Caladita and uh, Kilroy was here, the Kevin Smith Project. We have great stories on the site about those that uh, Leo mentioned. Well, I want to end on this. I think we each have one last fun question for you, but we have to ask you your favorite movies. I mean, forget just, you know, the new projects that we're talking about, but, you know, here you are working with Roman Coppola. It's funny, I'm I'm watching uh, The Offer right now, which is all about the making of The Godfather. Pretty good show and about how difficult it was to make the movie and pretty, pretty good portrayal, I think, of Francis Ford Coppola. I mean, I don't know him personally, but the guy playing him does a, a pretty nice job. But it's just a reminder, I think, of how hard it is sometimes to actually get these movies made. I mean, it almost wasn't made. Um, what are your favorite movies? Well, just, just to speak to that for, for one moment, <laughs> yeah. one of my favorite movies is, is Apocalypse Now. And obviously that's one of Francis's films. And he could not get that film made. And he had to, you know, really leverage a lot of the things that he owned and, you know, just through blood, sweat, tears, and, you know, sheer force of will get that film made. And I think that, you know, that that's in a similar way, kind of what we're trying to be able to do with decentralized pictures. I mean, that film was a war movie, but almost no fighting, you know, it was sort of this character study of, you know, this person. And it was very novel at the time to, to have a war movie that is about a character and there's not no not so many guns and, and these kinds of things. So I, I guess I guess what I'm trying to say is that, you know, new ideas that don't necessarily fit the model are what we're looking for and, and what we're trying to accomplish. But that film, I mean, The Good, The Bad and The Ugly is one of my favorite films of all time. Sergio Leone is one of my favorite directors. I, I'm a sucker for spaghetti westerns. <laughs> Clint Eastwood back in the day was like a hero. So all of the spaghetti western films are are awesome to me. I love that, you know, man with no name character. So even as that applies to to other genre like like anime genres like um, Ninja Scroll for example, I feel like that's the same character reimagined in a, you know, ancient Japanese sort of scenario where, you know, you don't know who he is, he just shows up, saves the day always does the right thing and then cruises on into the sunset (laughs) to go save the next person. So yeah, those are some of my favorite films. I mean, there's so many, obviously space odyssey is another one. I love Kubrick, big Kubrick fan. Yeah. Well, how about you guys? What are, what are some of your favorite films? Oh boy. Steven. (laughs) That's it. Put us on the spot like that. I I don't like to play favorites, but, um, Oh, I, the Big Lebowski. I love that film. Oh that's, yeah, great. That's great. fantastic. Uh, with classic. Nail and I, that's a that's a classic. And then just so many horror films, you know, The Innocents, that sort of thing. 
the 61, the innocence, not the recent one. But yeah, I guess just to, to wrap things up then, crypto has been around now for well, over a decade. Why haven't we seen the great crypto movie yet? Why hasn't someone done the, yeah. the Satoshi Nakamoto biopic? <laughs> well, I think probably because no one knows who he is. He's this mysterious figure that you can sort of form your own opinion based on his writings and, and his you know forum posts and uh, some emails that have been dug up from folks. But I guess no one really knows how the story's going to end yet maybe as well. But I think there will be a very, very cool Satoshi Nakamoto film. And maybe it's not just him. Maybe it's, you know, starts in the 70s, 80s and 90s with the cypherpunk movement in San Francisco and around the world. And some of the, the fights that were started around, you know, code being something that shouldn't be suppressed and uh, how encryption and mathematics should should be free for anyone to use. And I think that that's really the story is, is these pioneers, you know, there, there are many, and it's funny, I just did a documentary interview last week and David Chom was one of the participants in that. And, you know, he's one of the folks who helped pioneer that, that whole movement. So I, I think that certainly there, there has been films about these kinds of things, but yeah, I don't know. That's a great question. Hopefully there will be. I'm a believer and a watcher and a customer for sure when it comes out. Maybe you should put an award on the on the platform for it. Stephen, maybe we should write it. <laughs> yeah. So what we're doing with certain companies is saying you want to sponsor an award. It's a tax deductible donation and you can decide what the subject matter is and who the eligibility demographics are, if if any. Do you want to put any constraints on that? But um, yeah, let's reach out to the crypto community to make a donation to Decentralized Pictures to create a film about the origin of cryptocurrency. Um, I would love that. That would be incredible. And uh, we can all jump on and vote on the best pitches and the best candidates to tell that story. And that would be so cool. I would love that. It's a good pitch. I didn't, uh, I didn't share my favorite movies, but they're not as erudite as as Leo's. I love uh, Friday Night Lights, the movie, not the show. The movie from the book that led to the show. Classic. Love yeah. The Departed. I mean, Scorsese, right? Can't, can't get better than that. Every time it's on TV, I will rewatch it every single time. In, Infernal Affairs was pretty rad too. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I know The yeah, Departed was, was a remake. And then uh, Donnie Darko, one of my favorite, favorite, favorite movies. I, think it's I love that too. Underrated. Yeah. yeah. It's kind of smart and strange. This has been so fun, Leo. Thank you so much. And we will be tracking everything that DCP is up to. I know Stephen will. So when you guys get another big prominent project or film out there, you got to let us know and we can watch, review it, write about it and have you back on the pod. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. We're super excited. Our success is going to be really the success of the projects and the people that we get behind. So I can't wait to scream about them, crow about them and tell you folks about them once, once they're there. This has been GM from Decrypt. I'm Dan Roberts. I'm Stacey Elliott. And I'm Stephen Graves. GM is a Decrypt podcast produced by Red Rock Music. Our executive producer is Red Yoakum. Our associate producer is Emma Martins. And our audio engineer is Enrique Inahosa. For more from Decrypt, go to decrypt.co or download our mobile app. Subscribe and review us wherever you listen, and we'll meet you back here next time for more crypto conversation. GM. GM.